It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. With COVID on everyone's mind, entertainment definitely has its challenges in Las Vegas, and my guests are the perfect people to talk about these challenges and changes in Las Vegas. Alan Glist is CEO of Glist Entertainment, and Kathy Glist is president of Glist Entertainment. That's a lot of Glists all of a sudden. There we go. Three Glists, I said. <laughs> Producers of Menopause and Musical and the Bronx Wanderers, among others. For ticket information, go to HarrahsLasVegas.com. And Alan, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ira. Good to be here, and good to hear from you again. Yes, absolutely. Hi, Ira. Hi, Kathy. I wanted to have you both on because you've been in town a while now. You're at that stage where I would say you're veteran Las Vegas personalities as opposed to when you first got here. I've been here since 78, so I consider myself a little bit longer of a Vegas guy. But uh, <laughs> you guys came in what year? Did you actually come in 2004 or 2005? We came into town in 2006 with Menopause the Musical at the then Hilton Hotel and the Shimmer Cabaret. And at that time, we were based out of South Florida, and we would come in about once a month for about a week or so and oversee the show. Now we're actually living here full-time, and that little show that we weren't sure would make it in Vegas is now celebrating its 16th year in Las Vegas when we get back to work. That is amazing that it has lasted as long as it has, especially as you said, you weren't sure it was going to work in Las Vegas because it, Las Vegas is such an unusual market. Alan, when you and Kathy brought this show to Las Vegas, were you 50% convinced it would succeed or 25% or was there a percentage in there? You know, Ira, I, I'm not really sure what the percentage was back then, but we had opened in South Florida and Boston and the show was such a huge success that we were naive enough to think that it would work in Las Vegas. The irony is, and I just told this to someone recently, that if I knew then what I know now, I would have never opened the show. <laughs> it's just, you know, you got to be not only great to, to make it in Las Vegas in entertainment, but with the competition today, it's so fierce. So, you know, thank God we didn't know much back in those days about Las Vegas, and we opened, and, you know, as you probably remember, it was a roaring success. We were doing 10 shows a week in the Shimmer, selling out every show for four years. And it was very exciting. And here we are now, the longest running musical in Las Vegas history after 15 years. And I think an added asset to the production is that it's not a massive production, such as to go back in time, Jubilee or Follies Berger or any of those productions. It's a tameable, manageable production that presents a lot of fun to people. When we reopen, as Las Vegas reopens, do you see, because of the fact that it's somewhat of a smaller production, that it will succeed a lot easier now than some of the bigger productions that may be delayed or not even brought back? We are very hopeful that it will succeed. And I think particularly in these times, people need that escape. I think people are going to need to sit there for those 90 minutes and forget about their cares and woes. And I always felt that with this show, people feel better when they leave than when they walk in. And Ira, laughter is the best medicine, and we could all use that about now. I think so. I think 
We've been needing it for a while yet. And I think that's the trick, too, is that if you have a show that in addition to great music or music that really people know, even if the lyrics are different, that a certain amount of humor or comedy is essential to make it work given the stress of our times. Absolutely. And, you know, Ira, the irony is menopause, you know, looks simple from an audience standpoint, but we call it a big little show. Um, believe it or not, there's six, five to six stagehands at all times between lights, sound, uh, backstage. Then we have our own crew, of course, which is a stage manager, assistant stage manager, company manager. We have four in the cast with two understudies. So it's, it's a bigger show than it looks. And, it, it, you know, there's 300 lighting cues. There's a couple of hundred sound cues. It's, it's much more technical and complicated than, you know, we make it look simple. And, you know, one of our challenges is bringing the show back because we're the, believe it or not, only Actors' Equity show in Las Vegas. It's a little bit more complicated because Equity has a lot of standards from a safety standpoint, which obviously is our main concern for our cast and crew. But it's going to take a lot you know, to reopen based on all the qualifications and all the restrictions between the governor and Dexter's equity. But we're working hard on it. For our listeners who may not know what the difference is between a production that's non-equity and one that is actors' equity, can you just give us a primer on that? Because I know that it's important from a standpoint of, I think the performers like the fact that it's an equity production, but what are some of the reasons why you're the only ones in town doing that? Well, Prior to recently, there were one or two other actors' equity shows in town. Like Jersey Boys. Yes. And uh, over the years when there was a Broadway-type production, they were generally actors' equity shows, which means that the actors are part of the union, similar to the stagehands with IOTSE. We found over the years, producing both on Broadway and internationally, that in, in the day, uh, the prime of entertainment, you did find a higher caliber of performers. And so we always hung our hat on Actors' Equity shows, and we're kind of proud of that and proud to support our fabulous cast who are members of the union. And with or without the union, Alan and I would be very, very mindful to keep them safe as we move forward. And we can't wait to be back. And our cast members are looking forward to it as well. Do you guys have any tentative dates yet for the return of either Menopause Musical or the Bronx Wanderers? Well, we think Bronx Wanderers will actually open sooner than Menopause because it's a non-actor's equity show. Right. And because of the way we can stage it, we can keep the performers on stage a minimum of six to eight feet away from each other. Um, that show is in the bigger showroom upstairs. It's a gigantic stage. You know, we, we can do what we want with that. It's not a problem. With Menopause the Musical, the stage, even though it's a 350-seat theater, the stage is a little bit smaller than upstairs, and we're having to already think through some of the choreography and staging to try to keep the girls safe and through choreography and staging and so on. But we're hoping to, by January or February at the latest, is to try to get at least one of the shows open and then right behind it within three or four weeks, open the other one. Do you think because of the closeness of the performers in Menopause and Musical, if the choreography is such that you have, and you're limited, a, you know, you have a set space on stage and that will call for some creative movement, so to speak. But I was just thinking of both the hockey teams and 
some of the other teams, other leagues, where they actually put them all in a bubble. But I can't see performers in a bubble <laughs> staying in a bubble while everybody well, else is out there. You know, that's a very interesting point you bring up because we have a Zoom call with all the girls and our crew every week. And one of the things we talked to them about last week is it, it seems unrealistic because of the size of the show and so on to put everybody in a bubble. You know, these aren't multi-million dollar athletes, obviously, right. where they can, you know, nor are we a multi-million dollar, you know, sports franchise where we can afford to rent out a hotel and keep the girls in a bubble. But what we did say is we've got to somehow come together and have sort of a pledge to each other that we're going to be very responsible and not be out and about at bars on weekends without masks and so on. When you have, you know, one of your fellow castmates that you need to protect as well as yourself. So we've all sort of made that kind of unwritten pledge to each other. And as we get closer, we'll figure out sort of how to do that, I believe. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because performers like to get out and about. But I also think that their dedication, in this case, to the show, to menopause and musical particularly, especially because they've been doing it so long, too, and they know each other that and they know you guys. So and when I say guys, I obviously include Kathy, but, you know, it's it's men as a uh, Kathy gets it when I say you guys. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sometimes you have to, if depending on the generation of person you're talking to, they may take offense. But at any rate, <laughs> I, I knew that you guys wouldn't. So, But I, I could see that they would commit to something like that because it is a serious issue. It's not going away soon. And, you know, there's that you can you take all the precautions you want. All it takes is the old weakest link, and then you've got a problem. Yes, exactly. Well, this past, these ladies are very anxious to get back to work, and uh, they have families, and, and they have responsibilities. They want to remain healthy. We want them to. And we told them that that is our very first priority. And then we look forward to bringing in this audience again. You know, performers love to perform. <laughs> they were born to do that. You know, we're producers. And I think our, our industry has been hurt more than any other. Even sports is back, you know, right now. The entertainment industry is really the only industry that is still out of work. Uh, as you probably have heard, Broadway is not going back till the earliest July of 2021. And a few shows, I'm happy to say, have opened in the last few weeks in Las Vegas with a few more to come uh, in the next week or so. And we feel kind of good about getting all of our ducks in a row before we open our doors and invite the patrons in to make sure that it's really safe and everybody can feel safely walking through the doors. We don't want them worrying when they come in. We want them to just come and lose themselves for the 90 minutes. And I think our two shows, Menopause the Musical and The Bronx Wanderers, which is just a feel-good, rock and roll, take you back to your uh, prime kind of show, will do that. And, and we just can't wait for that moment. I think, too, when you think of the audience, you're absolutely right. You don't want to have them coming in in a tentative mood and they're worrying about who they're sitting near or who they're encountering. So I am assuming there's some thought going in in terms of how you work out the seating arrangements and where people stand and how they order things. Yeah, one of the things and one of the main reasons that we can't open now is with Caesars Entertainment that, of course, you know, owns and runs Harrah's, we laid out the floor 
and the seating for both showrooms. And the challenge is in the menopause, the musical showroom, which is 350 seats, based on the governor's restrictions, we're only able to get 80 saleable seats in there. The big showroom upstairs, which is 550 seats, where the Bronx Wanderers perform, we're only able to get like 136 seats. So financially, it's not feasible for us to open because even if we sold every seat for the both shows, we, we could never even break even. We couldn't even come out. So the main restriction right now that's holding us back is there's this mandate that you have to put the audience a minimum of 25 feet from the stage. Well, once that's brought down, we're hoping to see that change to eight or 10 or maybe six feet. Once that does, and we can get an extra 80 or 100, 120 seats in the room, then we can really plan our reopening. Yeah, that's a challenge because the the governor's uh, various decrees and edicts and uh, announcements change over time, and it's based on what his advisors tell him. The trick is to whatever the final decision is, if there ever is a final decision, that it's consistent. So for producers like you two, you can rely on it in order to be able to bring a show again back into the showroom. Because if it keeps changing, it's not profitable. It can't work. So you have to have a consistent, it would seem, a consistent number that you could work with. Exactly. That's why we need this number of 25 feet to come down. If you saw both showrooms and they've both been laid out, obviously, for patrons to, you know, for us to get prepared, it's scary. The whole front of the theater, the first 25 feet, which is a lot, believe it or not, it may not sound like much, but in a smaller type theater of 350 seats where it's wider than it is deep, the entire front of the theater is empty. And it's like the last couple of rows. And of those, there needs to be social distancing. So we've got pods of two chairs or four chairs set up uh, with little cabaret tables. And all we were able to get in there, as I mentioned, is 80 seats. Well, couldn't they put a, one solution might be to, couldn't they put a big shield you know, in front of the stage and that way you can move the seats back up to the stage by having the shield that protects everyone? We actually just did that in Pittman, New Jersey. Um, the governor opened, the, the Bronx Wanderers flew there. We set them up for five days uh, at the Broadway Theater of Pittman, which they play every year. It's a thousand-seat theater, and they sell it out three nights in a row. So they really wanted to have them back. The governor opened up and basically said, you can open with 130 seats. So we went in, we did five performances, and what they did is they basically dropped a white scrim down, and they shot lights from the rear of the house through the scrim so you could see the Bronx Wanderers. The Bronx Wanderers looking out couldn't see a thing. It just looked like they were looking at basically, you know, a white sheet of some sort. Um, but it, it, for, for those that don't know, a scrim is sort of like a very fine mesh screening like you would have on your windows. Uh, and it would protect anything from going out, droplets and so on. But, it, you know, it, it didn't really feel comfortable. I mean, the audience loved it because they could see them and. You know, but it, it definitely felt like they were behind something. So right, right. Um, we're hoping not to root if we don't have to. Or maybe even a, instead of that type of setup, but maybe even a shield that people normally wear in front of their face, maybe they could have it across the stage so it's completely, you can see through it completely and still feel the action from the performers. Yeah, it's possible that we could look into some plexiglass that right, they're right. know, using as dividers in various places. One of the things we uh, have to be cautious about is the sound, of course, because we've been talking about the, the cast members wearing shields, and we're going to experiment 
to see if the microphones can go under them and that the sound will still uh, sound fantastic in the audience. We've gotten in these uh, certain kinds of facial masks that you can wear where you can have the microphone and plenty of room to sing. But God willing, we'll be able to open and we won't need to uh, cover their faces. That's what we're hoping. Sure. Well, let's take a break. My guests are Ellen Glist, CEO of Glist Entertainment, and Kathy Glist, president of Glist Entertainment. They're producers of Menopause the Musical and the Bronx Wanderers. For ticket information for upcoming Menopause the Musical and the Bronx Wanderers, go to HarrahsLasVegas.com and we'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with Alan Glist, CEO of Glist Entertainment, and Kathy Glist, president of Glist Entertainment. They're producers of Menopause the Musical and the Bronx Wanderers. For taking information for Menopause the Musical and the Bronx Wanderers, go to harrahslasvegas.com. Well, both of you sound optimistic given what we've been through so far, and I think that that's probably that spirit that got you to come to Las Vegas in the first place. And even if you had a little doubts about how menopause would first start out, you were here for the long run, even though you were coming out once a month initially, but then you moved here. We did. We did. When we moved into Harris with Menopause the Musical, and it was a, a change of venue, we saw that it was going to require a little bit more of our attention and time. And before you knew it, I affectionately call it bait and switch. We were living here full time and opening a second show, The Bronx Wanders. And, you know, we find that when we were open and entertainment was uh, jumping and jiving on the strip, we were really working hard every day, you know, with 136 shows in this town on any given night and the advent of sports coming to town. It really did take our focus on marketing and PR to keep our shows in the limelight and in the front of everybody's mind so we could be in the running for people's ticket buying. When you first decided to move here full-time, what surprised you most about Las Vegas once you settled down and became part of the community? You know, I think I found that Las Vegas is more than just the Strip. When we used to come here as out-of-town producers, everything existed within the Strip. So we actually were able to make some wonderful friends and get out into the community we also like giving back to the community through various charities in town. So we're very active with that. Uh, we're very active and on the executive committee of Light the Night for the uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and the Win-Win Charity that helps various uh, organizations and people with special needs. So we keep very busy. We find we work 
all day long and go to our shows at night. And whenever we can, we lend a hand to those in need. I was always curious about, because clearly in the case of Menopause and Musical, it's different than, let's say, the Bronx Wanderers, because the Bronx Wanderers can change elements of their act. And yet Menopause and Musical is a, is a straight book show, so to speak. So it's, a, it's the same each night. In other words, the songs are the same and the scripting is the same. There may be some changes down the road, but generally speaking, it's the same. How is it that you're able to maintain, this is for both of you, how is it you're able to maintain that interest in that on a night-to-night, day-to-day basis? In other words, it's, it's, it's not different every night. It's the same in a way. I know the audience is different and there's other things that come up that make it interesting, but I'll let you explain since I'm wandering on my question here. No, you know, it's interesting, Ira. It's a great question, and we get asked it all the time, especially because Menopause, the musical, now is close to 20 years old, and it's basically the same script and the same songs. And, you know, over the years, we've been asked by, you know, radio and television personalities, uh, just like this in an interview, have you guys thought about updating it and putting in some 80s and 90s music as opposed to all 50s, 60s, and 70s? But the unique thing is, and what's so special about our show is, we get 6,000 new customers potentially every single day. That's how many women go into menopause on a daily basis worldwide. There's 1.5 billion women right now, billion with a B, that are in menopause around the world. So we're always getting a new audience, and the show is so funny and so enjoyable with all of the music and the parodies you know, the cute, clever parodies that were written to all these famous songs that everybody knows that people come back over and over. It's so rare that anybody sees Menopause the Musical only once. I mean, we have people coming in from out of town all the time, and this is one of the first shows they want to go see. We're very fortunate, along with Bronx Wanderers. Those seem to be their favorite two shows very often. Well, I know I love that my husband is an expert on menopause. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) Well, have I ever become one? Don't forget too that, and you used to. I remember you used to talk about this way back when it started in Las Vegas. Is that it was a show for women, but women would sometimes bring their husbands or boyfriends or brothers or fathers or whatever. And then those guys would come in reluctantly, and then they would enjoy it because of the music. Yes, you're so right. We always say, you know, men get dragged, but they have a blast. They end up loving the show. And one of my favorite lines, I think it was in a Seattle audience, was, this should be a mandatory workshop for all men. Well, I'm glad it's not mandatory, Kathy. I I think it's better that we just voluntarily go and see it. I just, I don't like the mandatory part, but. (laughs) That's true. Now, Alan, I'm relentless when I ask a question and someone doesn't quite answer it the way I anticipated. So I'm going to come back to that question because you half answered it and it was a good answer, but it wasn't the complete answer, which was, because you said it was a good question, but then you answered only part of it, which is, how is it that you guys can go every night and not be. I don't, know, I don't know if the word is bored, but you're seeing the same show every night. So what is it that keeps you guys interested and passionate about the show? Oh, that's great. Okay, sorry. I totally misunderstood. Um, believe it or not, Ira, because we know every lyric and every movement in the show, because we've probably seen it a few thousand times over the last 20 years, what Kathy and I get more of a kick out of than anything is we'll usually sit in the back of the theater or stand in the back of the theater, and we watch the audience. And what I love is I love in particular to watch the guys that walked in and they look grumpy, like while they're waiting online, I walked up to him and said to him something like, boy, you look awful grumpy. He says, 
oh, my God, I'm in Vegas for three days, and she dragged me to see Menopause the Musical. <laughs> and then what I do is I watch those guys in particular during the show, and not only do they start off slowly, but then they, it starts building. By the time they're halfway into the show, not only are they hysterical laughing, but those are the same kind of guys that leap to their feet at the end. They're usually the first one to start a standing ovation. What I gather from what you're saying is, even though you know, like, as you said, you know every line and every move in the show, both of you do, and yet what you're getting satisfaction from is the human element of people who are responding, perhaps for the first time, to the show, and in some cases, the husband or boyfriend or father or brother. Exactly. That's exactly right. In fact, and we get all kinds of crazy things, like one night we had eight nuns show up, and I remember going up to them, they had their gray habits on, and I remember going up to them and saying, do you understand the content of the show? I mean, are you guys comfortable being here? And they said, oh, yes, absolutely. And I watched these nuns. They, they bought VIP tickets. They were down near the front. And gosh, they just had the best time. So you're right. It's the human element. Like we get such a kick out of the audience, you know, each night. It's wonderful to see. We always say the uh, four performers on the stage are the four girlfriends. And then the audience members, particularly the women, become the fifth girlfriend so and they're yelling things back and having the time of their lives and I think what happens what sets this show apart from other shows Ira is that it speaks directly to that audience member you know they say that's me or were you in my living room last night or how do they know and it also I think is more than entertaining it's empowering for women at this passage in their life uh, where they could kind of be a little bit down about it or having a tough day or experiencing some of the symptoms of it, I think this helps raise them up and help them realize that, heck, this isn't so bad after all. In fact, maybe the best of my life is ahead of me. And they also bring sometimes their daughters as well, and the daughters can relate to it even though they're not at that stage yet. I love when I see that. And we have seen three, sometimes even four generations of women coming, you know, those who are far away from going through menopause, those who are in it, and those who have been through it. And it's something they share together. And, you know, they, they bond over it. And they the laughter is infectious. And they just walk out feeling great. And I don't know, with times as they are with coronavirus, politics, and, you know, everything else, you know, the weight of the world on our shoulders. I really am proud that we present two shows that really can lift your spirits and having you feel so great upon uh, being a part of our audience. I want to leave with a question for both of you that's more global in a sense, although it relates to Las Vegas. Where do you see entertainment going in the near future in Las Vegas, once COVID is dispatched, uh, at least enough for shows to begin again. Do you see it going a certain way? That question's for both of you. I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think um, I've been thinking about this and talking about this quite recently. Um, I think that what we've learned is with all the streaming that's gone on the last seven, eight months and how sophisticated we've all become from a technological standpoint, there's nothing like live theater. Like, I don't care what you present to anybody in a 2D format. It's just not the same as seeing it 3D. You know, what we've learned is 
the streaming concept has not worked on for Broadway. I mean, other than Hamilton, of course, but for Broadway shows and so on. I mean, it goes on every week and people are doing live streams and concerts all over the country and whatever, but it's not tremendously successful. So I have high hopes for live entertainment coming back because whether people realize that or not, everybody really needs it and we're craving it. And one of the things that's going to be nice for shows like ours is where the headliners have come into town again over the last three, four, five years, which have, you know, sort of, you know, taken a little steam away from little shows like ours because, you know, people will go see one big show and then one little show. So um, you're not going to see many of the big shows or the headliners or the surf shows coming back for, I don't think, at least six to eight months because they need those bigger capacities. So it's going to be kind of fun again, almost like old Las Vegas when we started 15, 16 years ago when there were only 40, 50 shows in town as opposed to 100 or 180 shows. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Alan. Kathy, what do you think? I agree with Alan. And I think as people start coming back to Las Vegas, uh, which I believe they will. I think we might have to get through uh, this uh, flu season, and hopefully everybody is taking their flu shots, et cetera, and being uh, vigilant with their masks. I think that people will return to Vegas more than just on weekends, and I think they're going to need the entertainment and crave it and the escape, and uh, they are going to look two shows like ours and some of the other fabulous shows in town. And I, I think entertainment in Las Vegas is needed and here to stay. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guests have been Alan Glist, CEO of Glist Entertainment, and Kathy Glist, president of Glist Entertainment. They're producers of Menopause the Musical and the Bronx Wanderers. Particular information for both the Menopause the Musical and the Bronx Wanderers, go to HarrahsLasVegas.com. And Alan and Kathy, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us, Tyra. This was a lot of fun. Great catching up with you again. Same here. Thank you, Kathy. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.